So if you've got a Bible, like I mentioned, we'll be on page 619 at the bottom. I want to tell you about uh, my mom a little bit today. I want to tell you about my grandparents a little bit today. I want to tell you about my wife a little bit today. My mom, uh, who will actually be here, I think, in two weeks for church, is awesome. My dad left uh, before I was four. They they divorced uh, formally right around my fourth birthday. And so my mom worked three jobs. My dad didn't pay child support. She worked as a school teacher, which is always like a full-time job plus 20% uh, a little bit. And then she tutored juvenile delinquents. So kids who got in trouble with the law on every Tuesday and Thursday night, she would go uh, to the courthouse and she and another lady would tutor these juvies in math. And, uh, and then she would tutor kids out of our house. And so I remember, uh, you know, and she never charged what like the fair market value. She always just tried to help people. And so we were always told, you shut your mouth. I'm teaching these kids math and you are not going to be playing tackle football in the next room over. And, uh, and she was awesome. She was, uh, she was that math teacher. She was a math teacher. She was that teacher who pushed you absolutely to your limit. Um, and so with my mom, there were no easy A's. There were actually no easy B's or C's. She was the hardest teacher uh, that you would ever have. And it's rough, like when your mom is a school teacher, it's even rougher, to be honest, when you go to the school where your mom is a teacher and kids come up, student, you're like your classmates come up and they're like, your mom is the hardest teacher I've ever had in my life. I, I basically, I hate your mom. Like, um, like great, that's, thanks. Uh, and then, like, you know, I don't know what it's like in New England, but, like, the one sacred ground, you don't talk about somebody's mama. And so, you know, those are almost fighting words, but I was socially awkward, so I couldn't defend my mom or myself. And uh, the cool thing about my mom, though, was years later, I've seen this a hundred times. We'd be at the grocery store, or we'd be at some city event, or we'd be at something, and people would come up to, to me and would say, hey, you're, I was the worst student, had a rough upbringing, and your mom, who I resented the 180 days that she was my teacher, changed my life. She taught me how to, you know, and, and they just give this list of all the things that my mom uh, taught them as she invested herself. She knew that loving people demanded an investment of time and energy and love. And uh, we live in this world right now of like fake activism where it's easy to act passionate about something, but that just means we type about it in 140 characters or less. My mom literally gave, has given her life away, investing herself in every way and other people. And she did this. Her first year teaching middle school was the first year in the South that schools desegregated. And um, so she's beginning to become an educator in this sort of sort of post-Jim Crow era in the South. And uh, I never thought about race because my mom loved kids, like white kids, black kids. She didn't care. And uh, so all my babysitters as a kid were African-American men. And that never registered in 1980, 1981, 1982 that that wasn't just the norm. Uh, we would have gay men to our house who were her friends. There was never anything that my mom said, oh, well, you're this, and I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist, so you can't come in my house, and I can't love you. She loved everybody. It was so cool. And that's my mom's, that's my leg, that's my mom's legacy uh, was that because she was a Christian, she gave herself away to every single person that she came uh, around. And, uh, man, like, I, uh, people will say, your dad was an alcoholic. Your mom worked three jobs. Nobody in your family tree is in ministry. How did you and your brother end up pastors? We're like, it's my mom. Like, if Jesus is, if, if to follow Jesus means that he laid our life down for us, 
when we could do nothing, and now we lay our life down. Like, there's no pastor who is going to teach me better about that than my mom. And so Ecclesiastes talks about this. The, uh, I think last week Brian Owen did an amazing job, and I'm grateful he came. He referred to the writer as uh, a Solomon of Ecclesiastes. We've been calling him the preacher because we don't know definitively that it's Solomon, though a lot of people think it is. And, and by the way, thank you to everybody who came last week, got here early, stayed and tore down. I didn't get any complaints, you know, of teachers on Monday morning frazzled. Uh, you guys are awesome, and I appreciate you being here. It was one of the biggest crowds we've ever had, uh, even with a few families out last week. It was one of the biggest crowds we've ever had on a Sunday, which was really cool. Um, the preacher who wrote this addressed these ideas of legacy. So today isn't just aimed at moms. There's a half dozen moms here, but it certainly includes them. It's aimed at all of us who want a life that matters and don't want to have an average legacy. See, our greatest danger, if we had to say one thing as we go through Ecclesiastes, it's going to be the overarching theme. It's this. Our greatest danger is not an average life, but an amazing, unsatisfying life. And our greatest danger is not being invisible and having no influence. Our greatest danger is living a life of tremendous influence, but that influence doesn't mean anything. It's a meaningless influence. There are people today who are influencing our culture and, you know, trend on Twitter and all of this stuff, and they're not influencing anybody toward anything of any value or eternal significance. And I I think eventually that, you know, that catches up with us. Um, And so the preacher, the teacher, the author of... uh, of Ecclesiastes is going to talk here about a good name and a good name being our legacy. And so he says a couple things. We're just going to, I, I never like doing this, but we're just going to look at three verses today. I'm not going to read uh, 30 something verses of scripture. I'm going to read three. I'm going to talk about three things that this chapter is saying. If we read the whole thing, it would just be backing up essentially these ideas. So if you've got um, your Bible open, Ecclesiastes 7, we're going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 8, and then we're going to look at verse 26 today. Here we go. So uh, the first thing about a good name, let me read it. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. God, if you'll go to that first slide for me, because this is the first one. A good name flows from a good life. A good name flows from a good life. Um, you can f- people can fake a good name for a while, but eventually everybody always figures it out. I just finished watching, I, I binge watched last weekend while I was out of town that CNN uh, special on the 2000s. And the, the episode about the, the market crash in 2008, 2009, like people were doing incredibly shady things. And making millions off of it. But eventually the gig was up and everybody figured it out. See, a good name, a legacy always comes from a good life. And that life is lived in such a way that Eugene Peterson calls it the long obedience in the same direction. Day after day, living by faith. And so the preacher says a good name is better than precious ointment. Ointment is a sign of wealth. A good name is better than ointment because you can be fake rich. I've known people who are fake rich. We live in an African-American neighborhood in Greenville. We were the first white family that moved onto our street in 42 years. And there were two main anchor churches in our neighborhood. And the pastors would call it hood rich. He said, oh, these, he said, look at so-and-so. She's hood rich. I was like, first of all, I can't say that. Second, what does that mean? And, uh, and he said, what that means is they just went on some scratch-offs. And, or they just came into a little bit of money, and they spent money on whatever it was, so everybody thinks they're rich, but we know that that was a one-time purchase. 
So many people have a one-time purchase of a good name. And eventually, everybody figures it out. Eventually, like, a good name is better than a jar of the most expensive perfume. Because eventually, that's going to be empty. But a good name goes out past us. And so... Uh, It's hard to fake a good name. It's earned over time. A life is different than a legacy. A life is different than a legacy. Not everyone leaves a great legacy. A life dies 100% of the time, but a legacy always outlives us. And a legacy always outlives us. A good name is better than precious ointment. We all want a great life and legacy. But here's the thing. Uh, Has your car ever gone out of alignment? I feel like that happens it's an occupational hazard of driving up Bunker Hill Street, right? Like, when our car goes out of alignment, it just begins to drift right. And before you know it, you're, like, you're steering like this. You know what I mean? Like, you're trying to keep it straight, but you're steering like this. Our natural tendency is to go out of alignment into average, into just wanting to live a good life. And so only the gospel aligns us to go from living a good life to living a legacy. And, uh, and, and I think there are four just natural things that happen in life that will help align the car. Weddings, births of children, baptisms, and funerals. In those places, we look and we're like, is my life counting? Every time I go visit somebody at a hospital who's had a baby, I think, man, am I parenting in such a way that I'm leaving a legacy. I've got an uncle who's going to pass away in the next couple of days. I'll probably go south this week. It's my mom's last living brother. And there will be something I know about going into the church for his funeral that will make me take stock and say, okay, he's 30 years older than me. Am I living my life and leaving a legacy, or am I just trying to make myself more comfortable? Weddings. When I go to weddings, and I love that moment at the wedding where everybody stands and the bride, the the doors open and the bride begins to come down. I love watching the groom and, you know, seeing how, like, watching his face. Uh, in that moment, I remember my wife coming down the aisle and me losing it, like, coming, like, ugly crying, like, but the fastest ugly cry ever because it's like you got to cry before she gets to the midway point and all eyes turn to the front, right? And um, weddings make me, like, take stock. Am I leaving a legacy with my wife and the way that I'm loving her. And so those are places where we ask big life and faith questions. My granddad uh, got uh, at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, about five years before he died, and never will forget it. He says to me, he says, hey, I've spent an entire lifetime building our family name. Don't you screw it up with one dumb decision. And like in that moment, like you're not sure if you want to laugh. He, it was not a laughing moment. Like, trust me, there was no laughing about that. My granddad's, let me tell you, my granddad's name um, opened a lot of doors for me. My granddad's name got me out of trouble with the law one time, big time. Um, literally, I had to go before a judge for a speeding ticket, and my granddad's name was the only thing that kept me out of a tremendous uh, fine that day. My granddad's, my granddad's name stood for faith in Jesus, prayer, seeking out people far from God, hard work, faithfulness, loyalty, joy and laughter, generosity, and like a salt of the earth, humility. When people thought about my granddad, that's what they thought about was, was those traits. Has anybody's name ever opened a door for you? Have you ever gotten a job because of somebody else's name? 
Have you ever gotten into a school because of somebody else's name? I am the least terrified person to name drop. Like, is anybody, anybody in here a name dropper? <laughs> Nobody. Great. I'm the only one. Um, man, I'm a name dropper. I'm not afraid to because I've seen what my dad's name, the doors that my granddad's name uh, got me through. Uh, my mom also, the, here's the greatest thing my mom's name ever got me, by the way. When we were going to move here to start uh, Christ Church Charlestown, we were going around near where we were from. We had to raise money. And I went and I was going to meet with this pastor in Warner Robins, Georgia, the town I'm from. And I walk in. I've got all my materials. Here's our church. Here's our neighborhood. Here, you know, and I'm so nervous. And I walk in and he shakes my hand. He's about a 65-year-old man. He shakes my hand and he goes, hey, I don't need your sales pitch. Our church is going to write you a check for $25,000 right now because of your mom. He goes, I saw your mom take you guys to Little League when you were kids. I saw your mom uh, not put up with any junk from you when you were kids. Like, I know. He was like, you, he's like, you can give me the talk in a minute. It'll be nice for me to hear it, to explain it to our finance team, but I don't need to hear it. Your mom is the reason you're getting this $25,000 check. A good name will uh, open a lot of doors for us. It's better than ointment, but it's earned over time. Are you building a life? Or are we building a legacy? People will be envious of our life. People will be influenced by our legacy. People will be envious of our life, but they'll be influenced by our legacy. So, and here's the second thing. A good name, a legacy, Scott, if you go to the second one from me, for me, comes by perseverance and patience. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, uh, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. I've got a new life rule. I read a biography of Tim Tebow a few years ago. Don't ask why. I honestly can't tell you. I'm a University of Georgia fan. I don't know why I read it. Uh, but I did. He wrote it when he was about 25, 26 years old. At that moment, something just seemed, that just seemed like, why did I just read a biography of someone 10 years younger than me? This guy hasn't even been a, an adult for five minutes. And he's like talking about, and it was good. I mean, he's talking about principles of life and faith. I'm, I'm to the point now where you've got to have a lot of gray hair or be dead before I want to read your story. Because I've seen so many people who tell everybody how to live, but then they don't have the longevity to follow through. And uh, a good name is, is tested by the end of a thing. And so this year I've, I've wept as I've read stories about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Corey Tim Boone and Samuel Adams and Eugene Peterson and people who died and finished their race of of faith. I, I remember there's a new 30 for 30 on ESPN. Does anybody watch those documentaries? They're usually really good. Uh, about a kid named Felipe Lopez, who was a basketball player in the mid-90s, if I remember right. He played at St. John's in New York. Everybody said Felipe Lopez was going to be the Dominican Michael Jordan. And, uh, and he was good. He was a really good college player. He never panned out in the NBA. He just wasn't what all the hype uh, made him out to be. I remember the night Millie Vanilli won Best New Artist of the Year at the Grammys. They were going to be so great. They were going to be the next big thing. I remember when Lost Seasons 1 and 2 and maybe 3, Lost was the greatest show of all time for three seasons. And by the end, people were like, can we get this over? Can we get this over? Um, the Bible says the end is better than the beginning. The end is better than the beginning. See, legacy is a marathon, and trophies of faith and trophies worth having aren't given out after one mile. 
Nobody's ever gotten the prize for winning the Boston Marathon before Heartbreak Hill. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so the end, in a sense, is better than the beginning. So when you work, I want to encourage you to keep the end in mind. How do you want on your retirement day for people to speak of you? How do you want people to speak of you on your last day at your job? Um, do you want to sit there or with school, uh, with school, college, high school, middle school, how do you want people to think of you? Do you want to sit there on graduation day and know you barely got by or do you want to know that you gave it everything? I skipped my senior year of high school, went to college full time and got high school credit. My, I never will forget I had to get a teacher to sign off for me to do that. And Miss D4 was the teacher who signed off and said she would agree. Three or four teachers said, nope, we don't think you're a serious enough student. And at that moment, there was something in me that said, I'm going to prove them wrong. And so that entire year, every time I would get up at 6 a.m. to go to my 8 a.m. classes uh, for college, I would, I would think, okay, Miss D4's reputation is on the line by how I do. And my reputation's on the line. And I've never worked so hard in school as I did on that tw- in that 12th grade uh, year. Here in our church, at your church, keep the end in mind. If God relocates you, what do you want us all to celebrate on your last Sunday? Dan and Julie are moving in a month. What is their legacy for this church going to be? I hope, when, if God calls you to move, I personally would love to bring you up here on that day and say, man, I want to tell you that this person or this family loves Jesus, um, that they love others, that they've served joyfully. Julie has served joyfully here so much. She, every, every Sunday, if we're short a kids worker, if we need an extra, she'll always stay down. She'll sneak up here. You don't see her. I see her. She'll usually stand right back there, and then she'll go down. She's making sure that kids are getting to hear the gospel and that all the crazy boys and the older kids' class are somewhat under control. Um, I want us to be able to say that you gave generously and that you gave sacrificially. I want us to be able to say that you shared your faith and invited others enthusiastically, that you know God personally, that you walk with him in faith. And then I want us to put our hands around you and pray that God will send you out and that you will be as big a blessing to your next church as you've been to this church. But man, in grace, that starts with us saying, okay, Right now, let's think about the end and let's move backwards. And um, I don't want you to be a seat warmer uh, here or at your next church. When you interact with your spouse, keep the end in mind. What do you want your 50th anniversary celebration to be like? Uh, Or especially today for the moms and dads here, keep the end in mind. How do you want your kids to be on their graduation day, their wedding day, should they get married or as they enter the work world. Remember, they're the ones paying for your nursing home, by the way, as well. Like, um, I've told my mom, my mom's like, I don't want to stay in a nursing home long. I'm like, don't worry, we're just going to put a pillow over your face until you quit kicking. And, um, <laughs> and she knows I'm mostly kidding. Um, but, like, I love her. Listen, her legacy to me is so strong that there's nothing I wouldn't do for my mom. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. Because she thought with the end in mind as she parented my brother and I. So patiently, slowly, and steadily, in faith and obedience to God, persevere and run the race before you. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Scott, if you'll go to the third one. Uh, The third thing from verse 26. A good name pleases God 
and isn't ensnared by lesser things. Let's look at verse 26. It says, and I find something more bitter than death. Think about that. What I'm, he's, uh, the preacher says, here's something worse than death, more bitter than death. Um, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. The worst thing, he says, this is worse than death, is to be ensnared by things that didn't have to ensnare you. Over and over uh, in Proverbs, they'll talk about this seductive, adulterous uh, person who somebody's kind of walking by intentionally in the wrong place at the wrong time and gets ensnared and integrity is gone in a moment. And uh, in Proverbs and here it says, don't get ensnared by that stuff. A good name pleases God and isn't ensnared by lesser things. Our problem so often isn't that we're dreaming or aiming too big. Our problem is we're dreaming and aiming too small. And then we're easily trapped. Our problem, genuinely, every one of you, I know all of you pretty personally at this point, our problem for us with our faith and following Jesus in life is not that we're dreaming too big. Our problem is we're dreaming too small and aiming too small at what God would have for our life. So dream bigger for your life, for your marriage, your career, your kids, your grandkids. And even better, Ask God what his dreams are. God, what are your dreams for my marriage? What are your dreams for my kids? What are, you, what are your dreams for my legacy at work? What do you want from me, God? What do, what's your vision? And whatever he tells you, agree with him, align with him, and don't get ensnared by anything less. Dream bigger for others as well. If you could be known for one thing, what would it be? If you could be known for one thing, what would it be? I love uh, Carla. I try to say Miss Marrero when I see her here at school. Like, uh, I love Miss Marrero as a teacher of my children. My children, when we say, who's your favorite teacher? It's always her. But I yell a lot. I don't, I don't tell anybody that. Um, why, do they, why do my kids love her? Because she's fun, and they say because she cares for me. Because she cares for me. If you could be known for one thing, what would it be? Christian specifically, if you could be known for one thing as it comes to following Jesus, what would it be? I want to encourage you, write it down. Because we don't have groups this week, this would be a group question. If you could be known for one thing, what do you want to be known for? As it comes to following Jesus and go after it. Peter was known as a hothead, but he's also known for walking on water. Um, John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Thomas doubted. Judas betrayed. Andrew was an inviter. What do you want to be known for as a follower of Jesus? A life pleased to follow God escapes the snares of lesser things. You have to dream with God's heart for your life, for our church, and for your mission and legacy in the world. Now, there's two people. Scott, if you'll pull up the next one. There's two people who will stop you from living a great legacy. Here they are. One is other people. Others will stop you from living a life of legacy. Let's face it, um, what's the, there's a country song a few years ago. It's one of the most prophetically wise country songs ever. It says, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. Like, we, Natalie and I, one of our favorite lines around our house, people be crazy. People be crazy. Like, just when I think I've seen it all and can't, like, just when I think I've seen it all, people surprise me. People can be whiny, difficult. Codependent, lazy, 
demanding, obnoxious, overwhelming, selfish, and just plain rude. And I'm describing myself in that. Like, that's the traits that can most mark me if I'm not walking in step with God. But we can't leave a legacy without interacting with people. When it comes to people, we have to look past where they are. We have to see who people can become. When it comes to people, we need to look past their current struggles and see from God's perspective how those struggles become testimonies as God gives victory. There are struggles people have that, like, I just want to kick them in the behind. Do you ever see somebody struggling so bad and you're like, if I could just kick you into sense, just in love, not brutally, like, beat you, just give you a nice little love tap to the fanny, like, uh, but, man, thank God that he doesn't do that with us. He doesn't do that with us. And those struggles may become the greatest stories. Some Sundays, the kids downstairs are amazing. Some Sundays, they are loco. Like, and you can always tell, by the way, which one it is. Like, when you see the older kids' teachers, if their eyes are really bugging out, you know it was not the best day, okay? Like, um, isn't that right, Chris? Like, some weeks are tougher than others. But one day, what if the pastor of this church, who's going to stand here and preach the Bible, is down there in that class right now, hearing about Jesus, being loved? What if the pastor of this church one day is sitting in your art class right now and is the one that makes you the most insane other people will make us crazy it'll keep but it'll keep us from a legacy if we focus on where they are what they struggle with how they don't measure up how needy they are or even only what they can do for us um i think about in in our pastoring life people over the last 10 years who just seem like they're never going to get together they're never going to get together they're not going to figure this out um it's really easy to be critical and very self-righteous about people's struggles. But man, we can't leave a legacy if we self-righteously look at someone and say, I'm not, I'm not fooling with that. That person's never going to figure it out. Um, I can look at people and say to myself, it's not worth it. They'll never get it. But man, I thank God. And we all ought to thank God that he never looks at us and says, ah, that person's never going to get it. That person's never going to get it. Uh, God doesn't see that when he looks at them. He doesn't see it when he looks at us. So we need to see them from God's perspective if we want to leave a legacy. Now, here's the other person who will keep you from leading a life of legacy. If you'll go to that next slide. Yourself. Yourself. Um, The other one who will keep you from uh, not your average legacy is yourself. It's easy to be busy, distracted, ladder climbing, self-focused, and not even see others. Are you seeing your spouse? Are you seeing your kids? Are you seeing your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members? Are you seeing them as God sees them? Are you investing yourself in them for the sake of the gospel? Listen, I plan to preach your funeral one day. Don't make me lie at it. Like, don't make me lie at it. I, I've, seen, I've been to funerals where it's like, man, they're lying about that woman. I know how she lived. At my dad's funeral, he became a Christian so late in life that when we... Uh, we knew that his brothers and sisters were going to call us liars. And so my role in my dad's funeral was just to go and print my dad's emails and read what God had done in my dad's life. And I never will forget, two of my aunts came up afterwards and they said, you're lying about your dad. I said, I read his emails. Here they are. This is not a lie. This is what God did in my dad's life. It was really powerful. I would prefer not to have to lie about you. I don't want to have to say, uh, but in telling the truth, I don't want to say, man, 
he was really self-serving. Or that woman was so greedy. Or he had a great house, but nobody ever knew him. Or uh, she was successful at business, but really mediocre at following God. Your greatest threat to your legacy is not others. It's really ourselves. So worst of all, I don't want to say he had no influence because he was so busy running his race that he never even saw anybody. Yesterday we were down at uh, Benek at Little League, and uh, one game was ending and Noah's game was about to start, and so a buddy of mine walked by, and he always calls me preacher now. He's never come to church here, but he calls me preacher. Preacher, how you doing? He's like, man, I'm doing great. How you doing? And we're just kind of passing. I looked at him. I said, how? I know that his kid kind of makes him crazy. I said, how's, how's your kid? And he began to just talk for about five minutes, sharing with me a real struggle that he's having with his kid. And I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And I normally don't do this because it's Charlestown. I just looked down and put my hand on his shoulder. I said, man, how can I be praying for you this week? And he said, Wednesday, I've got to go in for some stuff with my kid and all this stuff. And I uh, looked at him and uh, I said, well, I'm going to be praying for that appointment Wednesday. What time? Put a, uh, like while we're standing there, I put a, a reminder in my phone to pray for them on Wednesday. And I said, how can I be praying for you? That's a lot. He's a single dad. So I can be praying for you. And he shared with me a couple of things. And he goes, and it wouldn't hurt if you wouldn't mind just texting me sometimes just to check in on me. Now, here's a moment that usually happens where I just zip past this guy and he's zipping past me. And now we're having this holy moment where this guy who's not a follower of Jesus is asking me to pray for him and check in on him. And I said, I would love to do that. Can we get together for breakfast sometime soon? He said, that'd be really great. Man, what a cool moment because, not because I'm so good. Trust me, I'm not. I missed that moment a thousand times. But in that moment, something in my heart said, slow down, see him, see what he's going through, listen. And, um, and, and there was a really cool moment. Who knows what God's going to do after that? How does a person create, tend, grow, and leave a legacy? Of course, trust God and be safe. Of course, obey the Bible in faith. Read it. Chew on it, obey it when it speaks to you. Of course, run from sin and self-destructive habits. Of course, invest your money and your time and your giftedness in kingdom causes. Serve joyfully, give generously, invite enthusiastically. Here's a couple others, though. Laugh more than you whine. Encourage more than you criticize. Listen more than you talk. Give more than you take. The people who do do those things in the name of Jesus have an amazing testimony. Throw good parties. And when you throw good parties, invite Christians and not yet Christians. And do it at your house or a park or whatever. But we ought to be known for throwing the best parties. Dream big with the kingdom first in your mind. Dream big for your life and for others. They probably can't dream big enough for for themselves. So you can dream with them, but don't have to force it on them. And most of all, see people like God does. Love them like Jesus does. Give yourself away to them. If you, all right, if you ask my kid today why their mom is the best, and they would, like, if we brought all the kids up here and everybody got to state their case for why they had the best mom, here's what my kids are going to tell you. I can tell you right now. She takes us for the best ice cream, which is Richardson's, by the way, if you don't know. <laughs> you don't like Richardson's? You do like Richardson's. Okay, we're all in agreement. Just making sure. that I, was, I wasn't sure what you meant there. Uh, Richardson's. Uh, they would say she plays cards game, card games with us. 
They would say she makes amazing hamburgers, nachos, and chocolate chip muffins. I swear we eat vegetables at our house. My kids are just not ever going to tell you that. Uh, They would say she gives the best gifts. And they would say she lets us watch the YouTube videos that are really loud that make dad angry. So I have to go to a different part of the house so that my blood pressure doesn't go up with the volume. She lets them do it. And they would say in a thunderstorm or after a bad dream, she lets them crawl into bed with her at night. And they have to sleep on her side. They are not allowed to sleep on my side. So, uh, but in 15 years or so, when they graduate college or if they get married when that happens or whatever, uh, I believe here's what they will say. That she prayed for us faithfully. That she showed uh, us up close what a godly wife is like and how she loved their dad. That she served God and others tirelessly but joyfully. She read the Bible diligently and obediently. And mostly they will say that she spent time with them when it would have been easier to be on her phone or distracted with life. They would say she saw us and she heard us. That will be her wife's legacy to my boys. Time, diligence, love, attention, and the right kind of legacy will reap a harvest in their lives. So here's the gospel. When we were ensnared by Satan and bound for hell... And crumbling under sin, God saw us. And he didn't just feel sorry for us, but he left heaven and he came into our life. Uh, He came to earth and he lived among us and struggled as we do and was tempted as we are. And then he laid down his life to accomplish our salvation. God didn't just see us from afar. He entered into our story. He loved us and died for us and rose again. That is Jesus' legacy to us. And we respond by acknowledging him, turning ourselves over to him completely. But a beautiful part of the gospel is that when we do that, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. So anything that God ever asks you and I to do, His Spirit will empower us to do. Now that doesn't make us like automatons where we don't have to try or put forth the effort. But whatever God calls us to do, He will always empower us to do from the inside out. And uh, I love that about the gospel. I think that's so beautiful. God's not got employees. He has children who He's empowering. Now, here's how we live out the gospel with others. We see them in their situation. We don't do life from a distance. If you want to live not your average legacy, pursue one person for the sake of the gospel. Here's your homework. If you want to leave a not-so-average legacy, begin by pursuing one person for the sake of the gospel. Ask God for one person that he wants you to pursue. God, who do you want me to love better than I'm currently loving? And then just listen. God, who do you want me to love better than I'm currently loving? And then begin to really see them and hear them and encourage them. Serve them, bless them, pray for them. Maybe pray with them. If you've been slack and it's somebody living under the roof of your house or a family member, uh, let them know that they matter. There have been times where I put my hands on my boy's cheeks and say, I've been too busy and I haven't seen you. And that's sin and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm going to do better because God's going to help me, but I want you to know I love you and I apologize. Let, people, let the people you love, if you've been slack in that, know that they matter. If it's a person in our church, um, awesome. Invite some, if, God, if you say, God, who do you want me to begin to see? And if it's somebody who sits around you, but you don't know them, and he says, oh, I want you to get to know Lana, or oh, I want you to get to know Hope, or oh, I want you get to know James. Like whoever God's, if he puts that on you, get to know them. Invite them to your house, or for a meal, or for coffee. Learn their story. Sit with them at church. Will it be weird? Maybe so. It might be. 
But what would be worse is to hear God speak to you and not obey or to not be listening at all. Um, so, so what if it's weird? If it's not a Christian and God tells you to pursue somebody else, go for it. Have them over or meet them out. Throw a party or get together and invite them. Invite them into your life. After you've done that well, invite them to church. Be bold, intentional, leave a legacy. It starts with one. I got to tell you about my, how my granddad did this. So my granddad came home from World War II, and, um, and he and a buddy, Ted Tao, they were the only men their kind of age who were followers of Jesus. When we think about that post-World War II age, I tend to think that everybody was a Christian and went to church in America. That just wasn't the case with my dad and his buddies. So here's what they did. They, their Sunday school class at their church was two men, my granddad and Ted Tao. And they said, you know what? Every Tuesday night, we're going to go and find one of our buddies. And so the first night they went, they knock on this guy's house at 6 o'clock. And the guy says, hey, I'm sorry, you can't come in. We're about to eat dinner. And my granddad says, oh, no, we'll just come in for a minute. We just want to talk with you about coming to church. And the guy says, okay, just, you know, he lets, somehow my granddad gets his foot in the door and he's in. He and Ted Tower in. And, uh, and it ends up with them somehow sitting at the dinner table with this family. And uh, my granddad now is having this discussion with a man, it's my granddad and Ted, a man, his wife, and if they had kids with their kids. And my granddad says, we want to invite you guys to church and to our Sunday school class on Sunday. And the guy says, not interested. And my grandpa says, cool, is this about the time you eat dinner every Tuesday? And the man says, and the wife says, yeah. And my granddad goes, would you mind every Tuesday fixing two extra plates? Ted and I are going to be here every Tuesday until you come to church for at least the one time. And so every Tuesday, sometimes it took one week, sometimes it takes a month, the man gets tired because the wife wants her husband to take her to church and the family, so she's fixing two plates. The man's getting disgusted that he's paying for my granddad and other men dinner every Tuesday night, and so they eventually come. When they come, they would uh, find that there were men who loved Jesus, that their wives and marriages were much happier, and they would eventually become Christians. My granddad, uh, here's where the story gets a little sad, but don't hear it sad. My granddad got Alzheimer's at the end of his life, and he had this photo of all the men in his Sunday school class at the peak of his life, and there's 60 men. And those men just had a commitment. Every Tuesday night, they were going to go out. Uh, one of my, one, like my godfather, the closest thing I had to a godfather was a guy named Billy McDaniel. Billy was a rough railroad man tattoo like a from the navy on his arm big old popeye forearms huge guy and as a kid i remember billy would trace my face in church he would say lay down my billy and his wife dot and my grandparents and all of us would sit on the same pew at church and when i was too restless billy would say come over here and he was in his 60s and he would trace my face and that would calm me down it was the sweetest thing i could still think of those big railroad calloused hands tracing my face as a little kid all because my granddad went Tuesday after Tuesday, committed not just to living a life, but to leaving a legacy. Not just living a life, but leaving a legacy. I've had grown adult men in suits come up to me at church with tears in their eyes and say, I'm a Christian because your granddad cared enough to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back until God eventually melted the resistance in my heart. Man, that's the gospel. And I pray that we lead not, such, not an average legacy, but a legacy that says, I'll do whatever it takes. When God puts somebody on my heart, I'll pursue them to the gates of hell if that's what it takes so that God would capture their heart. Let me pray for it.